guys. Hello, everyone. Hi. Thank you for responding back. Um, it really is an honor um, to be here. It has been, I think, three years since I've done anything at, at this church. Uh, whether I lead worship also. Uh, a lot of you I know. I know I don't, there's many I don't know in the crowd. And, but I used to be Kyle, you know. I was here strumming the guitar and I would always mention this terrible thing that my grandpa said to me. He, he said forever ago, he said, never let your worship leader preach. And uh, I was, I, that would scared me to death when I started preaching. I was like, my grandpa said I'm not supposed to do this. But um, <laughs> anyway, here I am. <laughs> so we're going to go for it. Um, so, but it, this is my family. I, I feel very much, this is like, this is my origins. This is where I cut my teeth. Um, this is, yeah, I, I love this church. I love all of you very much. And even you who I don't know yet, I love you because you're a part of Anthem Thousand Oaks. And so you're a part of my story. Um, you may not know me, but I know you, uh, as creepy as that may sound. Um, and so let's start this morning uh, just with the Word of God. I'm going to read from Philippians. Uh, today we're not in the Gospel of John. I know that's what you guys have been uh, going through, but uh, I got permission to do something different. So uh, Philippians, uh, Philippians 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. I love it, hearing pages turning. My, my church is literally not one page turning, it's all just phones. So uh, you guys are great. Philippians 1, starting in verse 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. By the way, I'm just going to stop there. This, we barely, <laughs> barely gotten through a verse yet. Uh, servants also should be really um, translated slaves. I'm not going to preach about that today, but I think that's incredible. Like Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Just let that hit you as we're getting into this. This is how he introduces himself to this church. Paul, I'm writing you, a slave of Christ Jesus. And yes, that has all the weird trappings that you might imagine of, of slave. Like he's like, yes, I'm chained to this Jesus Christ I must let you know as I'm introducing myself. All right, barely through a verse. Here we go. Paul and Timothy, servants, slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, about you all. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the def defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with 
knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, fulfilled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I'm going to pray for just one moment here. Lord Jesus, uh, we just invite your presence to be felt. Lord, I, I know that you are here amongst us. Lord, would you move? Spirit of Jesus, would you illuminate our, our hearts? Would you, would you shine a light on, on what we should know this morning, what we should hear Lord, what we should see uh, in your written word, Lord, uh, would you reveal yourself, reveal your presence? Lord, I pray this morning that, that roots would grow deeper in this community, that friendships would grow deeper, that our togetherness uh, in the gospel, that it would be like uh, roots growing deep into the soil, Lord, may it be. Would you bring that to bear uh, by your spirit? I pray that you would do that this morning. Uh, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone said amen. Uh, the title I have uh, for my sermon this morning is Jesus is the Foundation for True Friendship. Jesus is the Foundation for True Friendship. I grew up in the home of a pastor. Yes, I'm a, I'm, I'm a pastor's kid. I don't know if you have like uh, things you assume about pastor's kids, uh, but I'm all of the cliches. If you, know, if you don't know the cliches, it's like, yeah, at one point I was the prodigal son and uh, ran away, whatever, had a weird edgy past, and uh, yeah. Uh, also, could never have imagined that I would have been a pastor myself. Like, young me would scream at current me, like, what are you doing? Like, a pastor? Why? Why in the world this job? Uh, I actually love it, still loving it. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out, Matt. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in the home of a pastor, and uh, my dad, um, I, I think, you know, as I get older, I just think about this. Just a, such a faithful man uh, of the Lord. He took a job in a town. The first town was a town of 600 in uh, Hugo, Colorado, northeastern Colorado, um, and then in his second pastoral job, a town of like 12,000. So it got huge uh, in northeastern Colorado called Sterling. And, you know, I've been here. I, I lived here in California for 10 years. I know you guys make fun of towns here. I've heard, I've heard you do this. And I've been thinking about how kind of messed up that is, you know, like Barstow. And is everyone going to laugh now? I just said Barstow. Uh, what's the other one you all make fun of? Bakersfield. Man, those Bakersfield people, I just, I feel bad for them. Honestly, I feel kindred spirit with them. Hugo and Sterling, much worse. Way worse. Uh, so kind of town we were in. My father would literally open up many of his sermons with reading, you might be a redneck jokes. And it would kill. Like people were just dying. Knee slapping, like, oh my gosh, he just read a Jeff Foxworthy, uh, you might be a redneck joke. I mean, he was not even like his own jokes, it's Jeff Foxworthy. Anyway, so for me, growing up in this small town environment, uh, for me, friendship was really difficult. Um, I, I definitely, I don't know what it was about me, but I always just longed for 
the city, the city life. My wife doesn't understand it still. She's like, you're still just like a small town kid wishing you lived that urban city life. And, uh, but yeah, I, I really struggled with friendships. And I remember my mom and dad would actually come into my bedroom at night often and they would pray with me. And, and they would say, Josh, let's, let's pray that God would send you friends. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you guys are laughing. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> Um, that's always weird in public speaking, by the way. I did not intend for you to laugh at my, uh, actually, that was a heartbroken moment for me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we would pray that I would have friends. And it was really difficult for me. And, um, you know, I mean, I think in the rural town that I lived in, there was a lot of brokenness and a lot of, you know, really, this, in, in all sincerity, there was a lot of drug use, a lot of really broken families in the smaller towns that, that my dad was doing pastoral work in. And so a lot of the, the families were definitely not Christian in the way they lived their lives. And so my parents were really concerned about the kind of kids that I would go hang out with. And therefore, I had, like, no friends. And we would pray uh, that maybe someone would show up and... and um, it was difficult for me. I, I remember not having many, but I, looking back on it, though, I do remember I had a friend named Tad, and his, his name was Thaddeus, and uh, people brutalized Tad. I remember, like, Tad was my friend, but everyone else at school hated Tad. I, I remember one time um, in my freshman year of high school there in Sterling, Sterling High, Tad was pushed on the ground by some kids, and a few kids together were kicking him repeatedly in the stomach. And they had, they had names, horrible names, I won't even tell you, uh, for Tad. And um, Tad was like a weird kind of artist kid, and uh, that wasn't cool in the 90s. Uh, now that's like a, a reason to be cool in high school. But um, people brutalized Tad, and Tad was my only friend. And, and this is kind of where I'm going to be going today, but I, I at that time did not really want Tad as a friend. Kind of resented it. And, but now looking back on it, I feel the grace of God on my life in that I had to be friends with someone who was different than me. He was not quite like me. No one really liked Tad. But the Lord, I think... Was, was giving me grace and teaching me some things about friendship. We need friends. You need friends. There's an article that came out this last year, and I think it's, it's really interesting because it came out within this pandemic year. It's, it's in the Scientific American. Uh, writer Sean Baylock spoke to the rise of loneliness uh, in our country, and it makes a lot of sense from what we all just went through, but loneliness is, is huge on the rise. Uh, and in the article, it says, more recent data shows that one in five adults have no friends at all. Survey released in 2020 found that 71% of millennials, almost 79% of Gen Z respondents report feeling lonely, significantly greater proportion than any other generation. Deep friendships are becoming very rare, says Sean Baylock, especially among the young. But even she goes on to say, adults, everybody is really struggling with loneliness. People are saying, I have no real friends. No one that I make deep connections with. No one that if like stuff got bad when it hits the fan for me to go to. Like I, I, people are saying that over and over. She says uh, later in the article, she says, loneliness, much like hunger or thirst, 
is a signal that we're lacking something. Prolonged social isolation can even contribute to heart disease, stroke, or premature death. This is just a, she's a cognitive scientist, not a, she's not speaking as a believer or anything, but she says, clearly, we humans need at least a few deep, meaningful relationships to maintain good mental health. We need people, right? We need human interaction, and I'm not here, this is not like a COVID sermon, I'm not here to beat up on that, or just, I'm saying, like, you need people in your life, right? You need friends, So far, I think you're with me. The truth is, though, relationships are hard. I've heard Matt talk many years uh, of, of, I I feel like every other sermon for a while, it was like you talking about how bad you are at gardening. Do you still talk about that? Sorry, maybe you've gotten good at it. We're really bad at gardening in my family. (laughs) Really bad. We kill succulents. I don't know how you do that, but you're not supposed to water them, and yet some, we were like watering them a ton. relationships are like a garden. You can't just like let it hang there and it just, you know, flourishes. No, every single good relationship, it takes tending to, it takes nurturing. Um, You know, it's interesting. I I hear people say all the time, like, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I've been saying for years, that's just not true. It's not true at all. It's like absence makes you think that the other person hates you. Like, why, oh, why didn't they text me? They must hate me. Maybe they were just busy. I don't know. But absence does not make the heart grow fonder. You have to tend to relationships. And, and so why did we read Philippians 1, 1 uh, through 11? Uh, the letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi, uh, many scholars actually say this is a letter uh, of friendship. That kind of unlike a lot of other letters in the New Testament, the affection that you even heard Paul displaying in the letter, it's, it's very unusual. It's like he's writing to friends. We get a little window. I think this is really cool, you know, thinking about the Bible in this way. We get a window into the first century church and the way people are interacting with one another, the way they're relating to one another, the way that Paul feels about a group of people. We just read, you know, it's like we're literally reading someone's mail here, and I I think that's really cool, and it's instructive to us, and so I just want to kind of work through uh, just these verses uh, quickly here and, and draw a few things about friendship and relationship. So you guys with me? You guys with me? Okay. All right. Uh, Philippians 1, I I have three things for us today. Uh, First of all, if you're a note-taking person, true friends pray for each other. True friends pray for each other. Verse 3 again says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul He says he's praying for all of them in all of his remembrance. Now, before we just think that Paul's being a little bit, he's just like uh, speaking over emphatically, he's just saying every time they come to his mind, every time this church, this group of people comes to Paul's mind, he says, I I stop and I pray for you. And I pray for, for every one of you. Paul prays often for these people. This is selfless. Paul says that these people are in his prayers always. 
And he says it's for all of them. And so I just want you to think, like, there's people in our church community that are often difficult. And this isn't for you to, like, think about those people in this moment. But there's people that are hard. There's people that are even annoying, dare I say. People in your community group that they just talk way too much. Their, their prayer requests, they're like, why is that a prayer request of yours? Like, that makes no sense. Why are we praying for that? We're wasting our time with you. All people in the church, Paul's praying for all of them. And you actually see later in Philippians that he's, he directly address, addresses a couple of people who are being specifically difficult in the church. Those people, too, Paul's praying for them. I know this is a really simple point, but do you pray for other people? <laughs> when I was preparing this message, I, I found myself becoming cynical on this point, just thinking cynical about my own heart, cynical about the people in my church. Like, how often do people pray for other people? Everyone just prays for themselves all the time, right? Just you show up in your, your prayer moment. It's like, God, I need this. God, I need this. It's like a grocery list. God, okay, if you could pick up this for me, that would be incredible. Like, that's kind of how we often pray. And, and I just want to share, I'm cynical here. Literally, I'm not kidding. I'm I'm praying through this passage, and I'm thinking about this, this point of prayer, and two guys from my church, young, millennial guys who, who probably are irresponsible sometimes, they texted me a picture of them both praying for me in this moment. And they said, Josh, and this has never happened before, it's never happened since, they're like, Josh, just want you to know, we're praying for you right now. I, I was blown away. I was like, God, maybe I'm just too cynical. Like maybe, maybe you need to change my heart. And, and you know what? I need to start praying for my church. And I think you need to start praying for your church. Let the people's faces of the community come before your mind and you say, Lord, would you bring grace in their life? Would you bring joy in their life? Lord, would you do a new thing in their life? Would you reveal yourself to them? Real friends pray for each other. And so look at kind of what Paul's doing here. He says, he thanks God in all of his remembrance for you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. As Paul is praying for these people, he's filled with, with joy. And, and if you've been around church much, you know that joy is kind of like happiness, but, it, but it's a sustained happiness. It's a sustained pleasure that can keep going. It can actually go through difficult moments. And so Paul's saying, when I think of you, even in my difficult moments, I, I, I'm, joy is brought into my life. Paul's in prison as he is writing this, by the way. He's like, I'm thanking God for you right now. In my prayers, as I'm chained to this wall, your face comes to my mind, and I thank God for you. Let's continue. Second thing I think that we can learn about relationships and friendship. Second thing, the deepest bond in a real friendship is the gospel. The deepest bond in any real friendship I'm, I'm claiming today is the gospel. Look at verse 5. Paul says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So, so Paul's thanking God for these people, 
joy is springing up in his heart because these people are, are partners with him in the gospel. I love you. You're my, my friends. This relationship is deep because I know that you're with me in the gospel. Like that's what we're joined together in is, is Jesus. I was speaking with a friend the other day about this passage and they were saying, you know, they love, they love what Paul's saying here because he says, from the first day until now. And so, so I, I just see Paul, again, in his, his prison cell. He's praying for this community. And his mind is going back to the first moment that he met them. And it actually tells the story in Acts chapter 16. Um, it's a crazy, like I'm a church planter. If this had been my church planting experience, I, I would have quit like 20 times over. I mean, oh, I, wah, I planted a church in a pandemic. That was really hard. But, but Paul, it says that he wanted to go to Asia, and the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow him. So he wanted to go here. Like literally, hey, I want to plant a church in this city. And God's like, no, you're going to Barstow. <laughs> Just kidding. I, it, that's messed up. Why, why do people do that? Um, <laughs> wanted to go here, but you're, you're going here. His plans are, are disrupted. He, he goes to, uh, it's a city in Macedonia, uh, the region of Macedonia and Philippi. They're in Philippi. And I love how Acts 16 says this. It's just funny to me. Paul's, I don't, you know, he's walking along the way. He's trying to do ministry. And it says, Paul became greatly annoyed at this person who was filled with a demon. And so he had to cast it out. I don't know. It's just funny to me. Like, when was the last time you're like, so annoying, you demon-possessed person, and then had to exercise it? You know, it's anyway. Like, how cool is Paul? Uh, greatly annoyed, he's like, okay, I have to cast out this demon. Once he does that, he actually is then imprisoned for uh, casting the demon out. Uh, in, in part of the story, he meets these, these kind of random women on the outskirts of the city, and one of them comes to faith. When Paul and Silas are in jail, uh, they begin to sing and pray to the Lord, and um, because the, the, the walls, do the walls all fall down? That's the moment where all the walls fall down. Yeah, gosh, I should have studied more. Um, and the jailer's about to kill himself, and Paul says, no, don't kill yourself, we're here. And this jailer then comes to faith. It just This is how the church gets started, okay? Like, whatever. This, the big idea of the story is it's chaos. It's horrible. There's no strategy. It's like, I meant to go here, but I couldn't. And then there's this annoying demon-possessed kid that messes with my plans. Then he goes to prison. The prison walls all fall down. But then the prisoner comes to faith, and it's this hodgepodge of people to begin this church in Philippi. And then here, all these years later... Paul's like, I remember. You're my partners in the gospel. It's the jailer he's speaking to. It's, it's Lydia and the women uh, that he met outside the city. It's, it's maybe the, the demon-possessed boy who came to faith. And, and all of this crew of people, they started a church. And like, why are you under this tent right now? Because you're partners in the gospel. I hope that that's what characterizes this community here. So often, I think, in community group or in, in our church in Denver, like, why the heck are we, this, why is this the crew? 
Do you ever think that? Like, how in the world am I here with this person and this person? But it's beautiful. And this says something to our world right now that craves diversity and craves for someone to to have genuine, sincere relationships that are based on something that aren't just superficiality. How often do people actually connect over extremely superficial things? Like, often. What is it that connects you with another person? And we have, we have a much younger church, and this is still a pretty young crowd, um, but in our church, there's a lot of dating happening. And I, I notice this with people who are, who are dating. They're in that, you know, in the dating scene. And how are people usually deciding for, for someone that they might date? I mean, usually it's, number one, it's what do they look like, right? Oh, that person looks good. How fleeting is that? By the way, our bodies change, right? So uh, good luck on that down the road. <laughs> but is that, a, is that a reason for like forever connection? They currently look physically good. That's weak, right? Okay, they're funny. That's a reason people date, because they're funny. Like, man, do they have a job? That, there, there's some deeper stuff. <laughs> Can they keep it? You know, they're funny, okay. But come on, we do this with people that we, that we are friends with as well. They kind of look like me. They dress like me. I, I definitely used to choose friends based on the bands they like. That is fleeting, right? Music, like we, we do this as, as well. If they're funny, if they like to ride bikes, they're my friend because they ride bikes, I ride bikes, they surf, I surf. In Denver, there's literally clubs that you can join because you, you all like beer together. These people all, they're connected because of a beverage. This is what's tying them together. Like what happens when one of them has to go to AA? It's like, dude, we're done. You're done with that crew of friends. Like this is over. And I know, okay, and this is, th- these are funny things, but then in this last year, to be more serious, something that has broken my heart is seeing division, even within the house of God, on things that are extremely secondary, really non-essential convictions. Let me be clear, I'm, like, have convictions, believe things about masks and blah, 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 you've heard all the stuff, Whatever. But is that a reason to divide, to divide your dinner table? I see it. It happens in my own church, just heartbreaking, where people are literally, we don't spend time with them anymore. We don't talk to them. Families, because of such secondary things. And again, I, I want to be really clear here. I'm, I'm not saying that those things do not matter. I'm saying, though, that the unity ought to be the gospel, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it should bring us together. That should be the, the deciding factor. Like, oh, I will not divide with them. They're my brother in Jesus Christ. This is Paul's thing here. He loves them. He's brought to full joy. He's thanking God. I mean, he's, he's having a worship service in his jail cell as, as you are brought to his mind, as, as the people of, of the body of Christ are brought to his mind. I think that should happen for us. 
It's like, that, that's my brother. They love Jesus. That's my sister. They're, they're, they're a brother or a sister in Jesus Christ. The gospel makes us partners. We need something much better, much more sturdy. We need roots that, that ground us in our friendships and our relationships. The other stuff will fade. Everything will fade. But at the end of the day, the gospel ought to bring us together. Now, maybe you're asking why. why what's so great about the gospel? What does the gospel do? I mean, you've, you may have heard the verse, classic gospel verse, Ephesians 2, uh, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, but it's a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. And so as we come into this community, we're all partakers of grace. We're all partakers of the gospel of grace. We all show up to the table just completely leveled. Do you ever think about it that way? Like you're not above anybody, you're not below anybody. You arrive to the table completely equalized. You're a partaker of the grace of God. Do you get to brag about grace? No, that's the point. He says, so that no one will boast. You can't brag about it. God gave you so much grace. Yeah, that's really not something to brag about. Like, I needed way more grace than all of you. Maybe that is how I brag. I needed so much grace from God, and so did you. And so we all arrive at this table just completely equal, becoming one. The gospel also says about Jesus, I love this, and this is in Philippians 2, verse 5. It's just kind of another, the gospel is so, when I think about the gospel, by the way, it's just, it's so big. There's so much to it. There's a lot to be said, and it's a beautiful thing. Here's another way to think about it. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, have this mind among yourselves, and catch this phrase, it says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? This is yours. This thing I'm about to tell you is something that has been given to you because you have Jesus. Because you have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have this mind and it's being given to you. This is what's being given to you. Verse 6. Who though he was in the form of God, that's Jesus, so that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's being given to you. And there's a lot being said there. But have this mind, the mind of Jesus. The good news of Jesus is that Jesus is Lord. And what is our Lord like? He, he's like what was just described here. He emptied himself. He just gave of himself endlessly which would have been a crazy thing to do, but it actually, that's what crowned him. That's what made him victory, a victor over death, victor over sin. 
The gospel is that Jesus emptied himself. He gave himself to you and to me. He, he was obedient to the Father to the point of death on the cross. And, and as he gave himself uh, at the cross, Jesus then gave us just such immeasurable gifts right there at the cross. This mindset of Jesus right there has been given to you. You can serve You can give of yourself endlessly. You can empty yourself into a community. You can approach friendships not needing to gain anything because of what's been given to you in Jesus Christ. You can empty yourself right there with every one of your relationships. And you you will be actually rewarded. It'll actually, um, you'll be living the way of Jesus. This is part of the gospel. The gospel of grace is precisely the way that we can be real with each other. We don't need to hide at the foot of the cross because you've been given so much grace. Number three, if you're still tracking with me. Three, becoming like Jesus is the goal of any true friendship. Look at uh, chapter one. We're back to verse eight. Continuing here. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Paul says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So my point here is is becoming like Jesus, for um, us to become like Jesus. This is the goal of of your friendship. Do you have goals for your friendships? I was thinking about, I'm kind of like suggesting maybe a crazy thing for you. (laughs) Do you have a goal maybe for your marriage? You, You ought to. But also in just your your regular friendships, there ought to be a goal. And the goal is, is for us to, to press one another on towards looking like Jesus. And I love what Paul says here. He says, I yearn, he says, I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. What do you think that means? Does that just mean like a really nice affection? Is that just his way of like putting exclamation points at the end of a sentence? Like, oh, I, I love you so much. I love you like Jesus. Is that, is that what he's saying here? What is that kind of affection? That means that Paul is, is willing to be beaten or thrown in jail or even face death because he loves these people so, so much. This is Jesus' kind of affection, I, I think. He's willing to sacrifice. He's willing to be emptied of himself just like Jesus Christ. He says, I yearn for you. The way, when I think about you, when I have affection for you, I, I want it to be Jesus that, that, that boils up within me. How else does Jesus love his friends, you might ask? Think about Jesus with the disciples. How did Jesus love his disciples? Does Jesus press his disciples towards living holy lives? Do we live, do we press one another? Like, do we ask each other questions that press us towards 
Jesus? Does Jesus ever call his friends out? His disciples, I mean, these are his friends. Does Jesus call his friends out? And are we willing to do the same thing? In true friendship, we press one another towards Jesus. Proverbs 27.6 says that, that wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. But so often, I'm actually really just looking for a crew that will just affirm everything about me. Josh, you're just killing it, dude. Just, I, would, I would rather have kisses from an enemy than wounds from a sincere friend. So often that's what I would, would rather have. And so when, when Paul says, I yearn with you for the affection of Jesus, what, is that, what does that mean to you? Paul says in verse 9 again, he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is writing to his friends. And Paul prays for his friends. Paul's relationship with these people is based on the gospel. It's founded in, it's grounded in the gospel. And, and his, his aching for his friends is that they would become more like Jesus. And, and this is what I'm claiming today from the scriptures here, that this is what real friendship should look like. And my question just from all of this is, what does this mean? What do we do? What do we do with this? This calls us into community. We need the Christian practice of community. Every single one of us, we need community in our lives. But first of all, as, as, as we come in here to a close, um, as I want to talk about community, I want to just share with you, I kind of hate the word community. I hate it because like many other Christian words, I hear it used all the time and I'm not sure if we're all talking about the same thing. I hear people say, uh, I want community. I need community. I also hear people say, oh, I already have community. Like I'm inviting them in. They say, I, I already have community. And, and I just see this as a, a problem in the church often. And this doesn't happen just with the word. It's not just the word community this happens with. It happens with a lot of things. We just, and us preachers are probably the worst at perpetuating this problem. We just use words and assume we all know what we're talking about, right? I say community. You're like, yeah. And I think for me, the word friend or friends and community, it's really unclear. Like, what, what, are we, what are we saying? Like, is that my group of friends or is that my community? I sat down in a diner with a couple who was probably about 10, 10 or more years older than with me. It was a year or so ago. I sat down in a diner um, with them and they had been attending our Sunday gatherings, and, and they were sharing with me that they enjoyed certain aspects of, of our church. Mainly, they liked the teaching and the music, you know? Um, and so they, they were attending, and in this conversation, I, I was really trying to invite them into community. And I was just using the word, like, hey, I would love to invite you guys into community. And, 
And it really felt like we were missing each other in the conversation. And at one point, um, I remember they just said, um, Josh, you know, we appreciate the invite, but honestly, we already have community. We have a lot of friends. We do a lot of things with them, and uh, I just don't think we have the time. And so we already have community. Thank you for the invite. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm still getting used to, to what to do in pastoral moments, figuring this thing out. But I didn't know what to say in that moment. But then after the fact, I realized we're kind of talking about different things. I said community. They said, oh, we have a lot of friends. And I, I just want to appeal to you today that I think within the church that it should become much more blurry of friend and, and community. Like they should start to become the same, like who are your friends or the people that are your Jesus people? Like community and friendship should be the same. Like I think when I talk about community, oftentimes people just hear me talking about a Bible study. Like, hey, I'm inviting you into community. And they're like, well, I don't know if I want to do a Bible study. And then here, here's the two ways I think that people accidentally um, live out or believe, two ideas about community that I see people accidentally believing and living out. And I, I think the first is acquaintances with similarities. And number two, acquaintances doing church things. I think people think community is one of these two things. Acquaintances with similarities. It's just a group of people that all love kind of the same thing. Or they knew each other in high school. Or they all kind of like similar stuff, or community maybe you think is just acquaintances coming together, you could come every Sunday, stand next to people, and praise Jesus, and know nothing about anyone around you. And their lives are not something that you're going deep with. You don't know the hurts going on in the lives of people around you. You don't know the wins. You haven't celebrated with them. You haven't mourned with them. And so when we say community, community is brothers and sisters. Community is, is participants, partakers in the gospel. We're partners in the gospel. Community is family. You don't get to choose your brothers and sisters. Like you're, you're just your brothers and sisters. It is, uh, it's so easy to bring our assumptions of what community is into the community. But we, I just want to be clear here. Community, I think when we talk about it, I think so often we show up and we just think, well, we're going to read the Bible together. And, and that's a really amazing, incredible thing to do. But we need to know one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to, to share in the gospel. And if I don't know you, how can I do that? How can I pray for you if we're not starting to cross into real friendship? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, from his book, Life Together, he says this. He says, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. 
Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands. They set up their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. Bonhoeffer, he says this, he says, it is not we who build, but Christ builds the church. This is your brothers, these are your brothers and sisters right here. This ought to be where we, we dig deep. This ought to be where we grow roots. God gave you to one another. You need each other to get through who knows how long the pandemic is going to be or how long we're going to have to go through other things. And, and we can't afford to, um, to fight over random things. We must Unite and be brothers and sisters united in the gospel. We don't get to choose who our community is. God gives it to you. I didn't get to choose my friend when I was there as a young boy, Tad. Like, I, I love, I mean, I've caught up with him years later, and I love that God gave him to me and, and taught me things through my, my friend, my community. And so my appeal to you here is to love one another as 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 Christ loved the church, to yearn for one another with the affection of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together and we'll pray as we come into a time of worship. Lord Jesus, we give this this morning to you. Lord, I pray that you would just grow deep roots. Jesus, we are your church. Would you build your church? Build your community, Jesus. Pray that we would yearn with the affection of Jesus for one another. We pray this in your name. Amen.